Welcome into the Musketeer Report podcast. Today is January 17th, and the Xavier Musketeers are alive, or at least as alive as they have been throughout the season so far. We'll give you the update as we always do. Recording, Paul Fritschner, Rick Broering with you. Xavier sitting right now on Ken Palm at 28. They're 9-8 and eight overall, 3-3 three and three in the Big East. They've won two in a row, one over Providence, one over Butler, both convincing wins. They scored 85 points in each game, an 85-65 win over Providence, an 85-71 win over Butler. We haven't recorded since even before the Connecticut game, so maybe we can talk a little bit about that, but mostly we want to talk about where Xavier is right now, and especially going forward, because you're starting to see the metrics really turn in Xavier's favor, especially in the last few weeks. In the net, Xavier is up from 45 to 38 overnight, and looking more specifically at Ken Palm and where Xavier is. I tweeted this last night after the game, but Xavier on New Year's Day was 84th in the country offensively on Ken Palm. Right now, they're sitting at 60th, so up 24 spots in 17 days. They're a top 25 defensive team. They check in at 25th overall, and they're the only team in the top 70 of Ken Palm that has single-digit wins so far. Xavier has a Pretty big uh, can't-lose game, I would say, against Georgetown coming up on Friday night. And then they go on the road for two games next week. One against Creighton, one against UConn. Des Claude has emerged in the last couple of games, especially since the Villanova game. He's really rebounded well since that Villanova loss. Davion McKnight has been spectacular for Xavier. The Musketeers are starting to turn a corner. Now the question is, can they stack the quad one wins that they need to make a run to get into the NCAA tournament. A lot of the NCAA tournament projections has Xavier at a, about a 50-50 shot right now. One site had him at 64% chance to make the tournament. Obviously a long way to go, but the fact, Rick, that we're even sitting here on January 17th having this conversation a couple of weeks after we did a podcast where we said, hey, it might just be good to find incremental steps and in improvement and then maybe you get lucky and make the tournament down the road. The fact that we're having this legitimate conversation now where we are seeing real, tangible, substantial progress game after game from this team. They take a punch. They respawn last night after Butler takes a, a very small one-possession lead in the second half when Xavier had gone on that 16-0 run in the first half. You're starting to see some really big chunk improvements game to game. The practices are paying off. Some of these guys are really learning the system if you're a Xavier fan listening to this, which I would assume 99% of people are, you got to be pretty encouraged about what you're seeing right now. Yeah, I think so, Paul. But it, it is funny because you know we we get so high and so low and react so much to each result when we start talking about NCAA tournament stuff, right? Like if you look at uh, Xavier since we last spoke, I mean the only result I think that may have happened that wasn't expected was Xavier winning at Providence. Now, that is a big win. It's certainly a nice win for a team that's trying to fight their way back into the bubble conversation. It's a win you needed. So uh, that is a big deal. But really, that's the only one game that was kind of a surprising result, I would say. And yet we're we're talking about this team very differently in from a media standpoint all of a sudden. And I think it's warranted, though. And the reason I think that is because you have seen this team play with a certain level of consistency and really, we could maybe say since the St. John's game, we've kind of seen that. Now, there were some things that happened in the Villanova game and some things that happened in the UConn game, specifically transition defense against UConn really stands out to me, that cost them a potential win. 
But those were also games that, you know, you're on the road at UConn or you're even at home, but you're playing against the defending national champion. You're on the road at Villanova and you're at home playing against the defending national champion UConn team. Uh, I, you know, those were those were hard fought games and close losses. I don't think even the issues that Xavier s- showed in those games were uh, too egregious. So I guess the, the point being that ever since the St. John's game, I really felt over the last five games that Xavier has played with a certain level of consistency. And I, I think that's played out when they played the teams that they matched up best against Seton Hall, Providence, Butler. They won and won handily in those games by double digits in each game. And uh, when you, when you look at the other two matchups, Villanova and UConn, I think those are just very difficult matchups for Xavier. That's not to say that they, they might not be able to pull off the upset the next time that they play against those teams. But um, uh, really, I think that the biggest thing that, that stands out to me is just the consistency with which Xavier has played with over the last five games. Yeah. And it's funny looking at how Xavier has done everything this season, because six of their eight losses uh, have been by seven points or less, but eight of their nine wins have been by double digits. So when Xavier wins, they win huge in convincing ways. And when they lose, it's because they haven't been able to close out close games. Now, yeah, I, mean, I will that, I will say the one the, the non-conference games and the bye games even that we were talking about. Yeah, and I will say a little caveat on that is that I, you know, Connecticut is included in that seven points or less margin. That wasn't really a seven point game that Xavier made it close in the last war. They fought to the end. It ended up being a five point game, but it's not like Xavier was really in a position to win that game. You know, you look back at some of those games, Delaware ended up being a seven point game. Houston was a six point game. So it's not exactly like, you know, I'm sitting here talking about uh, a three point loss, a two point loss where Xavier had a shot at the buzzer and just couldn't get it done like what happened at Villanova. I think some context is important, but still consistently playing close games. You're in the games and now trying to figure out how to win some of those games going forward. If you're in that situation again, I think hopefully that experience will pay off for Xavier. Yeah, and I think that's probably the the hardest thing to decide right now about this team is like how much of a step have they taken forward? It, it, you know, is it is it a big step? Have they gotten noticeably better? Or have they are these the results that we kind of expected? And because of the way the schedule fell, now people are feeling better about where things are headed. I tend to think it's the former. I think they are playing like a much better team. And I think the biggest things that I would point to to back that up are the toughness inside. Earlier in the season, we can go back to the bye games if you want, Paul. I know you've been haunted by them, but I think the lack of toughness, just seeing guys get blown up by a shoulder going into their chest. They're falling backwards, guys scoring right through them, guys giving up offensive rebounds to the opponent because they just can't hold off their box out, can't push their guy back and move him back. Those types of things were really concerning earlier in the year because not only were they costing Xavier wins, but I didn't see a fix for them. You can't just all of a sudden get noticeably stronger in the middle of the year or physically tougher typically. But somehow, Sean Miller, and I think probably the biggest thing is just that you had a couple of foreign guys, Gitas Namiksha namely, who weren't used to the level of physicality that they're seeing here in America, have now gotten acclimated to that and have started to, to play with a little more toughness themselves. I think that's the biggest thing going on there for Gitas and Sasha probably mostly. Abu has also been able to start playing more extended periods without getting himself into foul trouble right away. And I think that's really helped Xavier in terms of their toughness and their their interior defense. But to me, that's the biggest change that I think 
we've seen since, you know, maybe you go back to that stretch where they had the lost three in a row. They beat Cincinnati, they beat Winthrop, but then they struggled against St. John's. And then it felt like after there, uh, when they went into the holiday period, they got those extra practices in is really where we've started to see a different looking team. And, and when you ask me for, okay, well, what's changed then? I think that's what I point to first and foremost is the interior toughness that they've shown since then. And I said this last night on, after the game on a space is that I think the one of the best parts about the interior for Xavier is that Abu Usman was not somebody that was going to be expected to play a ton of minutes this year. He was going to get backup minutes behind Jerome Hunter and Zach Fremantle. And that was going to be his role. I'm not saying he was not going to play at all because he was going to have a role, but he wasn't expected to have this role where he is the guy down there in the post. And from where he was at the beginning of the season to where he is now, uh, between Davion and Abu, it, it would be a battle for me to pick between which one of those two guys I have been more impressed with as far as their improvement over the course of this season because Abu was not serviceable at the beginning of the year. You think back to even getting pulled out of the starting lineup because he was fouling too much and having to play him off the bench because, well, hey, Abu, if you get too aggressive early on and you pick up two fouls in the first four-minute war of the game, we're not going to be able to play you the last 16 minutes. And then, oh, by the way, we're going to dig ourselves in such a big hole that we're not going to be able to dig ourselves out of it in the second half. You're not seeing that anymore because he's playing under control. I know he had four fouls last night, but still playing more under control much better offensively who's scoring pretty well around the basket backing guys down he's got that great little post move where he the the drop step with his right foot up and under with his right hand even sometimes from the left side that move has worked really really well for him this year so you're you're really starting to see some things uh out of a boo that give me a lot of encouragement for what this team can be not only this year but then next year when you add all of this experience into the mix for him yeah, and I think, you know, the the offensive stuff, there's no doubt that he has improved at that, but it, it's probably not as exciting because that's not what you're going to ask him to do when Xavier is at full strength or at their best or going forward in the next year. But I, I think the the thing that really jumps out is the the fouling. I mean, this is a guy that was committing nearly seven fouls per 40 minutes in the non-conference, Paul. And now, I mean, it's how many do you high. get for a game? How many do you get for a game? Uh, five? five at the college level. And yeah. uh, over the last, you know, since we started conference play, he's averaging, it's still high, but under five fouls for 40 minutes. He's at 4.7 now in conference play. So, I mean, it, it, it's something he still has to work on. It's something that's probably always going to be an issue for him. If you look at his previous stops at North or his previous stop at North Texas, that was an issue. But he's gotten better at it, and he's now able to stay on the floor long enough to where Xavier doesn't have to go to their bench nearly as often. Um, and, you know, had they had to play extended minutes without Abu Usman on the floor against Butler, good chance they don't win that game. And you heard Sean Miller talk about it after the game that we had to rely on our starters. Butler made their big runs when we went to the bench. And I mean, it, it really didn't matter who it was, you know, Sasha, Trey Green, Dalen Swain, when those guys came in the game, those young guys, Xavier struggled against Butler. And, you know, that was a, a situation where earlier in the year, you may not be able to rely on playing a boo for 30 minutes because of foul trouble and because of the way he was playing too at that time. But he has now gotten himself together to where he is reliable, both from a not fouling and just being solid in his overall play enough to that you can you can play him for over 30 minutes and that 
that's something that really uh, maybe a month or two ago, I, I just didn't know if it was in the cards for this team. Oh, Rick, I don't want to gloss over the most important thing about Abu is that he's now a prolific three-point shooter. Well, yes, one for four on the year, knocked down that three against Butler. Uh, I, I'm not sure if that's a wrinkle that we're going to see a whole lot more from Sean Miller. But was something was it was it Jalen Reynolds? Was that Jalen Reynolds that hit one like six or seven years ago? Maybe it was his senior year. I was trying to remember. Somebody asked me last night at the game, and I was trying to remember. Somebody hit one. It wasn't Stainbrook. It wasn't James Barr. Obviously, took a lot. I'm trying to remember somebody. It wasn't Tyreek because we heard forever that Tyreek was gonna do that, and then he never did. I'm pretty sure Jalen Reynolds stepped into one like that too. Right top of the key, just trailing the play bang, I'm going to hit this, and if I'm not, I'm going to sit the rest of the game. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the only thing with Jalen is that I just feel like he probably would have made more than just one as well uh, throughout his career. I'm, I'm looking right now, and uh, he made one against Butler at home, and he made one against... Wait, Jalen Reynolds made one? Jalen Reynolds made one against Butler? He did. Oh, well, there you go. I, so just get the Bulldogs in the house. Those were those are the only two threes of Jalen Reynolds' career. He made one against NKU, which was disrespectful of him, and one against Butler. So the precious okay. pups. There you go. So maybe that's uh, exactly who you who you were thinking of. Yeah, Jalen Reynolds. Um, yeah, I, I I just to get back to last night's game. I think from a macro perspective of what Xavier did as a team to build up the lead that they well first of all to get down. And then to respond the way that they did and build the lead, go on that run, 16-0 run, you're pulling away, every shot is falling, the defense is locking down. I mean, I think Butler at one point scored two points in about an eight-minute stretch. And then for Butler, subsequently to respond in the second half, they start the half, I think, on an 8-0 run. Then Xavier comes back with a 9-0 run. Xavier wins the first war 9-8, to but it sure didn't feel like that with the way the game was going. Butler comes back, takes a, a one- or two-point lead there into the second half, but Xavier responds and puts the game away immediately from there with another big run of their own. They go on to win by 14. Just again, I, somebody pointed it out on the message board where earlier in the season, you're getting punched, you're getting punched. How are you going to respond? How are you going to close out a game like that? And sure, Butler isn't UConn. They're not Marquette. They're not Creighton, but they're coached to a point where you know, you could see some adjustments, and and I thought uh, the great Charles Bronson had a great couple of uh, posts on the message board today about some things that Butler did differently in the second half that gave Xavier some troubles they had to adjust to. But once they did, and once Xavier got settled down, it, it was a completely different looking second half in those final ten minutes. Yeah, well, Thad Mata made the ultimate adjustment by telling Posh Alexander to throw in three three pointers in a row. That was a great adjustment. I don't know if anyone had ever thought to do that before, but tell Posh Alexander to just make his three-point shots as opposed to shattering backboards with them that they might actually look better on offense. Um, yeah, I, you know, as, as much as it, you want to look at that game and be like, well, what was going on there with Xavier? They really lost it there for a stretch in the second half. It's like, uh, I don't know that they did. Like, they, they didn't play great, and that was part of the stretch where Sean was talking about he went to the bench and he had to put the starters right back in because the bench yeah. didn't do a good job. But you also got to recognize that sometimes in sports, guys make shots or guys make plays. And Posh Alexander hitting three three-pointers, uh, scoring 11 straight points for Butler, probably not something that's going to last, not a recipe for success long-term. So you kind of knew that Xavier, as long as they just stayed solid, 
that was going to calm down and and they'd get back under control and and that's exactly what happened so i give credit to xavier definitely for handling that and and answering right back after it but also i i tend to think that xavier played pretty well throughout this game quite honestly i mean heck they led for what 33 minutes of it and part of the the stretch that they didn't lead was right then when posh alexander had made all those shots so um i, I tend to think that that wasn't as much about Xavier struggling as it was Posh Alexander getting hot right there. Yeah, and it, just from uh, from the team's perspective, um, Xavier for the season right now, Rick, is shooting 73% from the free throw line. And for as much as people want to talk about free throws, I think when Xavier has gone to the line this year, and especially lately, look at a guy like Davion McKnight, who was brought in here for his aggressive play and, and uh, has really been able to do that lately in, in trying to score and get to the free throw line he goes five for five from the free throw line last night I thought the way that he played was conducive to that getting out in transition beating Butler back to the spot just getting those easy layups down the court back the other way before Butler was even caught up that as much as Xavier is able to get out in transition play with the pace that Sean Miller wants him to play at and then subsequently draw those fouls that's going to allow you to just keep getting to the free throw line. And if you're hitting at this rate, it's not one of the best in the country, but it's certainly a whole lot better than Xavier has been in years past outside of last year where they shot 71%. Before that, I mean, you're talking about teams in the 60s for the last few years. So you'd have to go all the way back to 2018 before Xavier was a top 10 team in the country at almost 78%. It's interesting though, Paul, because you talk about the free throws that they're shooting and the overall free throw rate of the team, like the free throw percentage has gone up, but the overall free throw rate of the team is way down this year. Xavier in conference play ranks ninth in big East play in terms of free throw rate, how often they're getting to the free throw line. And you mentioned Davion McKnight, which I think is an interesting point that he has been more aggressive in terms of seeking out contact, getting to the free throw line more. It was something that he did very well at Western Kentucky. And we assumed when we saw Xavier get him as a transfer that, okay, this is just a Sean Miller system guy. Sule Boom was someone who got fouled a lot. Now they're going to bring in Davion McKnight. He's going to play a similar style. And just from an overall offensive standpoint, Davion hasn't really been in attack mode for most of the year. He's been more of a distributor and a setup man. We've started to see that shift a little bit more. I'm not sure that we're going to see him score a lot, uh, but I do think him seeking out contact a bit more, putting foul pressure is the uh, term that Xavier uses a lot, foul pressure on the other team by by driving hard off somebody's hip when they, they hedge on a ball screen and, and picking up that cheap foul towards the top of the key. Or when you're in transition, instead of probing and backing back out, maybe putting your head down and getting into someone's body and drawing a, a quick foul. Maybe we'll continue to see Davion do a little bit more of that. And uh, overall, maybe he can help bring up the team's free throw rate because I, I just have to imagine with all Sean has talked about getting to the free throw line, that being an important part of their offensive style of play, the fact that they're sitting at ninth right now and, and very close to the bottom of the conference and overall free throw rate, has to be, I don't know if it's concerning, but has to be something that he wants to improve. Do you think right now that where Xavier sits, and you mentioned how th the results that we've seen lately from Xavier were probably expected, if you look at it, between Butler, Providence, UConn. Yeah, Butler or Xavier goes to Providence and wins, but that's without Bryce Hopkins. Do you feel like Xavier 
uh, is in a good spot as far as their resume goes. As from what you look at with Ken Palm, what you look at with uh, you know the quad one wins, the Xavier's three and five, I believe, in quad one on the season. Um, but you look at two of those wins, three of the three wins are St. Mary's, Cincinnati, uh, and Providence right now. Those are your three quad one wins. Cincinnati is at 29th. Providence is at 64. St. Mary's is going to stay a quad one game. Uh, it, it would be pretty hard for them at this point to drop out. They're at 30. Cincinnati, if they start losing in the Big 12, if the Big 12 catches up to the Bearcats, which it might not, Cincinnati's looked like they've held their own here through the first four games. But if Cincinnati does drop out of the top 30, if Providence without Bryce Hopkins completely falls off a cliff, which it certainly looks like they're trending to, that would mean Xavier would have one. Now, could Villanova sneak up? Could Seton Hall stay on a roll and sneak up? Sure. But Xavier has to really, I think, in my mind, start getting some of these games, you know, like a, uh, let's let's say, Seton Hall on the road, a Creighton at home. Um, you look down at the end of the season, at Butler, maybe a Marquette on the road. That would be a great win. Marquette hasn't looked nearly the last couple of weeks like what they look like in Maui. So do you have any thoughts just in general of where Xavier's sitting right now from a like a national perspective? Yeah, I, I do think it's funny whenever we like talk about this stuff. There's never nuance involved in anything, right? It's like always to the extreme, and then we always have to argue about what other people said and what the right way to think about something is. It's like, guys, understand what we've been saying here is we're not worried about Xavier putting together a resume because of where they were at a few weeks ago. They were a team that's not even in the bubble conversation. So at that point, instead of worrying about like what each game meant to their resume, you're just worried about them showing enough improvement that they can even get themselves in the conversation at some point or, or be playing good enough basketball at the end of the year to, to have a chance at the Big East tournament. That was what the conversation was about. It was not about like, let's cancel Xavier's entire season and write them off for good and they're not allowed to play the rest of the year. Uh, no one ever said that. So uh, there's a lot of dunking going on on our message board where people have to like constantly tell other people they were wrong for thinking something. It's like, it's it's fine. Just just relax. No one ever said Xavier wasn't allowed to play the rest of the, the, rest of their games out. Um, we were just saying there's a, a different, different consideration than worrying about the resume after each win or loss. And I would still argue that that's the case. Xavier is uh, close to being back in the conversation now, but that doesn't mean you're battling for seed lines at this point. You know, you're uh, you're trying to battle to get in the conversation to be uh, last four in, basically, is what what we're talking about. And so, um, to your point about like must win games or uh, th those types of things, Georgetown being at home. Yeah, if you're a team that's trying to stay stay alive, keep your NCAA tournament hopes alive when when you know you're going to be a bubble type team, you better beat Georgetown at home. That's one we can start talking about. Um, the DePaul games, we can talk about those. But aside from the other ones, it's hard to get too much into like what does this do to their their seed line or something like that. So we're really looking at Xavier getting to a certain number of wins more than anything now uh, to get to the NCAA tournament. I think that number is probably around 18 games if you want to feel pretty good about it. I, I think at 18, Xavier would be in a good spot and very much on the bubble, on the right side of the bubble, I think. Um, and if you look at Ken Palm's current projections now, they have moved and Xavier is now projected to go 12 and 8 in conference play, which would put them at 18 and 13 overall for the season. And, and I think that puts them 
right where you need to be at the end of the year if you want to be in the bubble conversation. So um, that is definitely exciting that they they've kind of played their way into that point right now, and they'll need they'll need to pile up some more wins as we go through. Which I think more than anything, the exciting part of the last few weeks is they've shown that they're capable of that. And I, I think you know coming out of that St. John's game. I don't know that I felt like this team was going to be able to get to plus 500, you know, when win more games than they lost in Big East play. Now, I think they're definitely capable of doing that. I think it's interesting when you look at the NCAA tournament and you talk about where Xavier could sit, right? Because the the first four has happened in the current w- way that it's set up 12 times since 2011. And in 11 of the 12 years, at least one of the teams that has come out of Dayton and made that the real field of 64 has gone on to win one more game and get to at least the round of 32. 11 of the 12 years, one of the Dayton teams has gone on to the round of 32. And I say that because the way that Xavier is set up right now, if they are to make the NCAA tournament, it's going to be because they're playing their best basketball at the end of the season, as opposed to some of these teams that play their best basketball at the beginning of the season, they stack some quad one wins in the non-conference. Maybe they have a great exempt event you know, pick up a couple there, start the conference season. Well, I'm thinking teams like Clemson maybe right now. And then all of a sudden they start losing down the stretch. They back their way into Dayton. They're playing pretty badly and they lose right away when they get there. That wouldn't be Xavier because if they get to Dayton, it means that they've played well enough down the stretch. They're hot enough down the stretch that they're probably in a pretty good position to compete with those teams, win a game in Dayton, and then, you know, who knows from there. But I think you're encouraged by the way that this is setting up for Xavier, that if they were to get there, you know, you got to go to Dayton. You're going to have a lot of Dayton fans that would be there that would uh, not be too kind to Xavier, but they've been through that ringer before but you know i don't want to go too much into that on january 17th i just think it's kind of interesting projecting this out and looking at it and saying that would kind of be the situation that xavier would be in yeah i mean the the one final note i would have and and this is again kind of why i don't think we need to talk a whole lot about like seed lines and stuff right now is because the big east is so great for this purpose if you're trying to play your way into the NCAA tournament the Big East sets up really well for you we've seen that in previous years Xavier has seven quad one games left as things currently stand today seven of the remaining games will be quad one games they have three remaining games that'll be quad two one quad three and three quad four games left so plenty of opportunities left on that resume to to get big wins you just can't lose to Georgetown or DePaul yeah, that's pretty in, much it for Xavier in, right now. In in years past, that's been, well, okay, maybe you drop the DePaul game and then hope that things rebound. Because you lost to Delaware and Oakland, you've left yourself no wiggle room. You have to go 4 and against Georgetown and DePaul. That starts on Friday night uh, against Georgetown at Centos. Because three of those four games are quad four, which is crazy. And everybody wants to talk about Oakland. Uh, everybody, well, I certainly don't want to talk about Oakland, but a lot of people want to talk about Oakland. People want to talk about Delaware, but both of those teams are way better than Georgetown and DePaul, which is crazy. It's just how it is. I will say, though, Georgetown is at least looking a little more serviceable right now than they were at the beginning of the season. I'm not saying they're good. I'm just saying they're at least you're you're at least kind of seeing things trending in the right direction for that group. Xavier should still win, but 
they're not DePaul, and DePaul is 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 really bad. That that would not be good. Yeah, DePaul is a complete dumpster fire. Ed Cooley is getting Georgetown back to being a respectable program while dealing with not having enough talent right now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you want to talk anymore? We probably won't podcast again until after the Creighton game next week. So do you want to talk more about, um, you know, we've touched on Georgetown a little bit, um, but next week, obviously, a huge, huge week for Xavier between at Creighton and then at UConn. Um, Anything there to to look forward to? Two big games, yeah. I mean, uh, they those are two of the the more difficult games left on the schedule. And actually, when you look at uh, Ken Palm, those are the two toughest games left. They're given a twenty nine percent chance to win at Creighton, a twenty three percent chance to win at UConn. So uh, both of those being on the road are going to be difficult. Does Xavier split the week? No. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I don't think so either, but I'm just, I always like to revisit the, uh, the preseason and see if, see if anybody's got any different, any different picks there. No, yeah, I, I don't say think so. That. But like, I mean, talk about this team though. So like interesting stuff other than us trying to make projects, projections that we have no idea about. Um, <laughs> what about Desmond Claw? I think that's the yeah. a big storyline that we haven't gotten to yet. Paul, I mean, I was being told that Xavier needed to bench him, that he shouldn't be back <laughs> next year. They'd have no chance of winning uh, after the Villanova and UConn losses. What is the takeaway from Providence and Butler where he goes for 21 points and then 26 points? Yeah, 26 on 9 of 15 from inside the arc. He was 0 for 4 from 3 against Butler, but still, I, I thought the the two threes that he hit um, before that, I think it was in the, uh, he hit three threes against Providence and you're just starting to see the confidence come back because he's doing it in practice, but in a game, it just, I, like I said, it felt like he had the yips for, I don't know what it was. He just couldn't get over it. He had some sort of blockage that he just couldn't get over and your, your short arm and shots, the, the shot form didn't look good. Didn't feel like he was stepping into his shots with a whole lot of confidence, but now all of a sudden in the last couple of games, he looks exactly like what Xavier has needed. He's been extremely aggressive. He's been smooth. He's been getting right to the rim. He's been getting fouled. He's hitting his foul shots. I mean, he's he is outside of that slump there through late December and into early January, which I'm not even really sure it was a slump. I think it was just that, you know, he missed a couple of game-winning shots against Villanova, and that's what sticks out in a lot of people's minds. But if you really if you really dive into the stats, he wasn't that bad. He he what he would tell you that he has to be better, but the it was ludicrous what we were sitting here and having to read and, and listen to uh during that stretch. Well, I would just tell people they get way too tied up in the results of a player's shot. To, and, and let me let me say, I, I understand it's really important whether or not the ball goes in the basket. Like that's what we're all here to do, to figure out. And <laughs> yeah. that's who decide that's how we decide who wins or loses. I'm not trying to say that's not important, but fans get too worked up about a guy has a bad shooting night. And now that guy can't play at all. And it's like, well, he played 37 minutes against UConn. You guys tend to think Sean Miller is a pretty good coach. 
how do you how do you rectify those two thoughts in your mind when you see a guy who you think shouldn't be playing versus Sean Miller thinking he should be in there for 37 minutes against the best competition you're going to face? Clearly, the coaching staff who sees him every day in practice and sees what he's doing on the floor realizes that there's a lot of value there, aside from the fact that he went, you know, one for nine from two-point range against UConn, or he went five for 15 from two-point range against Villanova. And that's really what we're talking about. I mean, those were the jump-off points for most of the Des Claude conversation about him not playing well enough. It was him struggling to finish off mid-range shots against Villanova and against UConn. Prior to that, he really hadn't had major issues finishing off two-pointers. His three-point shot is what it is, but we knew that coming into the year. Um, but really, the Villanova game where he went five for 15, and there were just so many shots from that like four to 10-foot range that he couldn't put in. And you were mentioning kind of the, the short arm look of some of those shots, maybe getting to a point where he was a little bit indecisive of um, yep. knowing like, this isn't the shot I necessarily want, or this isn't the spot I want to be at, but someone has to shoot it and the shot clock's winding down or this possession just isn't going anywhere. So we got to get a shot up and he wasn't finishing. I don't know that I've seen a huge difference in terms of the types of shots he's taking or the way he's playing uh, since those two games that, you know, Providence and Butler, he was six of 10 from two point range against Providence. He was nine of 15 against Butler. I don't think it was too crazy different in terms of his shot selection, or the way he was playing. The only thing I would say is that it did seem like there was a little bit more of a conscious effort when he was in that middle of the third, when he was in getting into the lane and driving guys to maybe put his shoulder into them a little bit more, use his body a little bit more and be more uh, forceful about getting to his spot. So instead of maybe shooting that like sort of six foot runner floater, or whatever, it seemed like there was a bit more getting down to that four foot range, getting his body into someone pump faking them and then trying to finish through contact or maybe just driving all the way to the hoop and trying to finish through contact there. That's the only slight differences that I've seen. Maybe uh, I'll talk to Trey Scotty tomorrow. Maybe he will have more for us there that he's seen from Des, but I don't think it was a, a huge change in terms of how they're trying to use him or what types of shots he's trying to take. I think it was maybe just a, a little bit more a tougher mindset from Des over the last few games. And, and at the end of the day, more than anything, the shots are just going down. He's just making yeah. them. And sometimes that's how basketball goes. Butler was also a very good matchup for Des. Very good. Yeah. They didn't have anyone that he kept getting either a six, seven guy guarding him or a 6'3 guy guarding him. They didn't really have that like long athletic wing. It was more of a, a forward who wasn't quite quick enough or a guard who wasn't quite big enough. And you're right. That that makes for a really good matchup for Desmond. Yeah. So now you're hoping <laughs> your Xavier, it goes without saying, it, you carry this into a game like Georgetown where there's pressure on you from the sense that you don't want to lose that game. But then next week, man, you steal one of those games against Creighton or UConn you show out we know how much that Connecticut means how much that UConn game at UConn means to Des from being that from that area it just you're hoping that the way that this is trending for Des because you, you can see it again you can see the confidence being built back you can see the when the shots are falling you're you're willing to take more shots but you're not playing outside of your game he's still stepping into it and the other thing too is he didn't hit a three last night, but he's taking good threes and he's not afraid to take them, even though maybe he's not shooting at the percentage he wants to be shooting at. You still got to be able to have the confidence to take them when you're open. And the coaching staff trusts him to be able to take the right shot, too. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, Paul, the one of the other guards that has kind of made a made a big splash recently was Trey Green. Um, he had that coming out party in the Providence game where he scored 23 points. He was nine of 14 from the field, five of eight from beyond the arc. Also pulled down six rebounds randomly in that game, maybe because he was on the court for 23 minutes. But uh, we saw kind of an interesting follow-up game to that from Trey Green against Butler, where he knocked down a pair of threes while he was in the game. And and I mean, the, the threes were actually somewhat significant, uh, but he also struggled a bit defensively. He had the three turnovers for the 13 minutes that he was in there. And it was pretty clear that Sean Miller didn't feel he could trust him uh, as Butler was making some of their runs. So he had, had to keep him off the floor. What were your thoughts on Trey Green after those last two games where we saw him really kind of break out finally from a shooting standpoint? Well, again, like I said with Dez, it's good to see the confidence being built up in somebody that we knew coming into Xavier was such a good shooter. And Sean talked about that. I tweeted it from the podcast account back in Vegas where Sean was saying, hey, look, we have full confidence in Trey to be able to go out there and hit shots, but they're just not falling right now. And it took maybe a little longer than the coaching staff was hoping for him to be able to hit those shots to get now into mid-January. But he's also a freshman. And it takes freshmen probably till after Christmas or into the new year to really get adjusted and understand their role, understand what they need to do. But yeah, I didn't think Butler was a very good follow-up to Providence because if you're just looking at the stat sheet and you see that he hit a couple of threes, especially the one three from almost by the logo, you're thinking, okay, Trey's keeping it warm. He's, he's still grooving. He's still, he's still the microwave. But what he did defensively, that turnover that led to Butler diving for the loose ball, the points back the other way. I don't think Trey was as much of a net positive last night against Butler as uh, Sean Miller and the coaching staff was really hoping that he would carry over from Providence because you're, you really want Providence to not be the outlier there. You want you want that kind of a game for Trey as a freshman to be, all right, let's build on this. Let's continue this moving forward instead of one step forward, two steps back. And that's kind of what that was last night against Butler, in my mind. Yeah, uh, to some extent, to some extent, I, I think that was the case. Um, but I think we're also seeing Trey is the Butler performance to me is where Trey is at now in his career. Um, prior to maybe the Providence game, and we started seeing him come on really since Big East play started with his three point shot. Like he hit a couple threes against St. John's and Seton Hall and Villanova. So you you saw it that, okay, he's finally starting to make some shots because early in the year he was shooting so poorly that I was just like, ah, this guy doesn't have any confidence. I mean, he is a five foot ten three-point shooter and none of the threes are going in, so how can he really get into his groove and play his game? Over the Since Big East play started, he started to make a few more threes. And then in the Providence game, you really saw the real Trey Green on the offensive end. The guy who's who's playing with reckless abandon, who's dribbling into three-point shots, who's flying around screens, using his quickness, uh, even doing some things with his toughness on the glass and defensively to where you're going, okay, he's got a little bulldog in him. Even though he's tiny, he can still fight. And uh, he, he was really a standout player in that game. I think that is kind of an outlier for right now, being that he's a 5'10 freshman. I just don't think you're going to get too many performances like that where he's going to be able to lead you and play 25, 30 minutes. The Butler game was interesting because you saw him, he hit some big shots and that did give Xavier a lift when he hit them. But 
there was also too many possessions defensively and then the turnovers where he was really hurting you. And so it, it becomes now like, can he find that, that medium of, you don't have to score 23, you don't have to hit five threes, but we do need your offense on the floor. We do need to get that spark occasionally and see if you've got it that night to give us a lift without you being a liability on the defensive end. I think a lot of that is going to be matchup based. Sometimes teams are going to set up better for him than others will. But uh, overall, that I, that is kind of the the storyline for Trey Green now is how solid can he be in those other aspects of the game, taking care of the ball, making good decisions, being tough defensively to where you can leave him on the court long enough to see, okay, can he get hot? Because it's like that five to yeah, – it's been like 13 minutes he's, he's played in a lot of games. Somewhere in that range doesn't seem like quite enough. You'd love to get him up over like 15 minutes per game, I think and give him some real run out there. But it's hard to do that if he's going to have the issues defensively and with the turnovers. A few more players I, I think I should ask about just because they've been hot topics of conversation on the message board. We didn't see much out of Lazar Djokovic last night. He did take a three, but he missed it. Um, hasn't really played much at all lately. And most of that really just due to production and, and due to or I guess I should say a lack of production and other guys simply playing better and finding their minutes. Do you have any thoughts on Lazar? Yeah, I mean, they're they're trying with Lazar. They're they're trying to keep him in there and give him a little taste to keep him going, but he's really just giving them nothing right now. And I mean, you saw it in the Butler game. He was out there for a minute and they had to, to pull him right back out and he didn't get back in. Um, unfortunately for Lazar, the tools have not been able to mesh with the the IQ and the the toughness and the physicality he's just he is clearly not adapted to the American game yet and uh, that's not to say he won't get there because he definitely has the the ability the length the athleticism the skill it's all in there for Lazar Djokovic but it's it's a hard learning curve for some of these guys man and you could see with him just the the overall physicality of the game has has been difficult for him to handle. And I think that's really what's holding him back more than anything. They, I mean, he's he's not picking up on everything from a system perspective either, but really I I think it's the toughness and the physicality aspect that he's going to have to to really prepare himself for more as we go through the the last month plus of this season and into next offseason. It's really going to be crucial for him to get that part of his game to where it needs to be. And I do think there is some of this that was unfair to Lazar from even the preseason where he was getting all these accolades nationally. And you and I sat here after watching practice and said, hold on, let's let's pump the brakes here and give this guy a chance to adapt to the American game and understand where he is in his development. But all of a sudden you started seeing tweets and posts and you know articles, everything about what he was going to bring to Xavier this year. And, and you and I had been sitting there for practice for weeks and said not to say he can't be good but this idea that he's going to be this dynamic game changer immediately in his freshman year coming over here to the United States was unfair to him I think and it's just the way this goes it's the way college basketball works it's it's just it is what it is but I think that was definitely unfair to him to put all those expectations on right away because I I think to a certain extent I don't know how much he follows it but I'm sure he saw a lot of it and he's probably it to a, 
a, a certain point probably a little frustrated with himself that he isn't living up to that. Oh, no doubt. I mean, any any player who's at this stage of their career, they've made it this far, they want to be out there playing minutes and they have uh, big ideas for what's next for them. So um, I don't think there's any question that this probably has to be frustrating for him right now. And I, I would, in terms of the preseason stuff where, you know, it's it's become a thing every year where Rothstein and Fanta and Goodman and those guys will come to gyms. They come for one day or sometimes they don't even come and see the team. They just show up. They maybe talk to the coaching staff and then they start tweeting all these superlatives about, oh, this guy is going to be great. They're talking him up or whatever. Well, the last two years, those guys have been Desmond Claude as a freshman and Lazar Djokovic as a freshman that they ranted and raved about in the preseason. So we should probably realize that while the guys that they're talking about may be talented and may be promising prospects down the line, uh, their, their track record isn't very good at stopping in for a day and deciding who's going to be the breakout player for Xavier for that year. So uh, I would caution that next year. I know we'll get excited about it when they say, you know, uh, Jonathan Powell looks tremendous in practice next year. But but just keep this in mind because, I mean, there's a reality there that uh, that the players actually have to live through. Another couple of names, and I'm just going to say it because they've been all over the message board the last couple of days. Reed Ducharme, Cam Craft, and neither one of them have been on the bench. I believe Reed was sick. Um, I don't know the official update on Cam, but obviously he's redshirting this year, so minutes-wise he wouldn't have been a part of the team, but he hasn't been on the bench. Do you have anything on either of them just since we've been getting a lot of questions about it? Yeah, it was reported that Reed was sick. Um I didn't report that someone else did, but uh, that sounds to be why he wasn't on the bench. Um, with Cam, I did post an update on the message board at musketeerreport.com. So all our subscribers got the the up-to-date deal with Cam. Um, for the rest of you, I would just tell you to go either go read that or understand that he is going to be taking some time away from the team for, for the foreseeable future. But I, they do expect that he will be back at some point. Rick, any news, notes, nuggets to wrap up the show? I think that's good. Uh, we have been having updates on Jonathan Powell throughout his season at Centerville. He's playing really well. Uh, so Xavier's lone 2024 commitment for next season that is signed to join the team in, in the summer. Jonathan Powell has been has been playing really well. Uh, two shameless plugs on my end. Next week, uh, just because of all this bracketology stuff, I'm going to have Rocco Miller on the rebound rundown uh, next week. He's a bracketologist. I love talking to Rocco. He's really good at what he does. So I'm going to have him on next week after the Creighton game just to talk about uh, where Cincinnati stands, where Xavier stands, some of the local bracketology. Uh, Rick, I, you'll be on the rebound rundown here coming up probably, I don't know, let's let's say him for next week. Let's say him for the start of next week, maybe to preview the Creighton game. Um, and then the, another thing that we're going to be doing with the Sean Miller podcast too, starting, uh, I think this week, uh, we'll get the first one out. I don't know if it'll be published this week or next week. We're recording this week. We're going to do some mini interviews, like a mini series, uh, with former players. Sean won't be on these shows, but Adam and I are going to catch up virtually with a lot of these players that are either playing overseas or maybe out of town, shorter episodes, maybe in the 10 to 15 minute range, just kind of getting an update on where all these guys are. It'll go to the YouTube channel, but just something interesting. I think some fans will care about Uh first one's going to be with Jack Nunji. We're recording tomorrow. So just an update on a lot of these guys that uh, are familiar names, but maybe aren't as familiar anymore in the, in the Xavier fandom that people uh, would like updates on. So that's a couple of things to look out for, but uh, Rick, Great to talk to you, and we'll talk to you next time on the Musketeer Report podcast.